Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. Oh, River Worship, thank you so much. Guys, just stay, have a seat. Have a seat for a moment. Have a seat for a moment. Um. I'm a little messed up right now because I am so excited to bring this word to you. You give a preacher four weeks off, and man, the Lord will do some things to him. I am so excited to bring this word to you tonight, but I got to pace myself, and I need you to help me, okay, because it's been a little while. So would you do something for me and help me? Would you just get comfy in your seat real quick for a minute? Get comfy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then clump around a little bit. Just push your neighbor. Left and right. Give them a little push. A little push. Make sure they're awake. Yeah, make sure they're ready for the word. That's good. That's good. Not too much. Somebody back there is straight playing hockey, body checking. You know, um, that's good. In my early days preaching, uh, I was working on a few things about communication. And, and one of the things I always tell you as a preacher is try to make eye contact, right? Look at people when you're preaching to them. This is my very first time preaching. It's in this very small a few people, and I did that, and I made eye contact, and it was great, it was great, it was great, and then I looked, and there was this guy that just literally cracked open a Big Mac in the middle of church, an entire Big Mac, and just started eating it. It threw me off so much, I didn't know what to do. Now, I'm bold now, I would have ran down there and taken a bite. I would have ate his Big Mac, Big Mac right in front of him, but, but it, it threw me off a little bit, if, if I'm honest, and and I just want to make sure that you're awake, that you're alert, and that you're ready for this, because I can't, I can't let it miss. This is a word that I believe the Lord has put on our hearts here at the river to share with you, and he's been stirring it up for four weeks. So that was number one. Bump them, just get them ready. Now number two, I need your help again. You know I like some interactive preaching. Same neighbor, same neighbor that you picked last time. Some of you are bumping both people, but that was great. And would you put your finger out like this? Now listen to instructions. This is very important, okay? Very important. On the count of three, would you reach out and touch them on the shoulder? Okay? On the shoulder. I said the count of three. What are y'all doing? Come on. Like Sunday school up in here. You ready? One, two, three. Just a touch. Just a touch. Just a touch. Good, good. Now, the one that you didn't touch, the one that you've been ignoring this whole time until now, would you look at them? Look at them and say the title of my message, Just a Touch. Oh, say it better, River. Just a Touch. That's all it takes. Just a touch. That's what I want to preach to you on tonight is just a touch. Now, one thing I want you to notice is that felt a little different. Like the bumping around was one thing. But the touch was different, right? It, was, it felt intentional, yeah? Hold on to that thought for a minute, because that's, that's going to be very important with where the Word of God is going to take us tonight. But the Word of God that we're going to dive into right now is from the book of Mark, chapter 5. It's about a very famous 
touch that happens in the Gospels, and it's a touch by a woman that the Bible identifies as the woman with the issue of blood. Anyone ever heard of her? Do you know who I'm talking about? Some real church people up in here? Okay, don't worry if you don't. Don't worry, because that's, that's just the title that, that the book gives her, the woman with the issue of blood, and it's Mark chapter 5. It's also told in the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of Matthew. So it's in three of the Gospels, parallel stories, same Jesus, same woman. So we're going to read that story, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about this woman and something incredible that she did, and then there is a lesson in it that I promise you could change your life, okay? Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bible, turn it on, boot it up. Does anybody bring a real Bible? Show me your real Bible. Any Bible warriors? Oh, come on, that's way more than I thought. Let's go. <laughs> this man put his iPhone up. Good job. He booted it up. That's good. That's good. It goes with you everywhere you are, right? That's what I say. It's great. Okay, Mark chapter, one. Mark chapter 5, find it, verse 21. Verse 21 is where we're going to start, and it says this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. What lake is this? This is the Sea of Galilee. Galilee. Where is the other side? It's a town called Capernaum. Okay, where he's going. Capernaum. When Jesus had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Somebody say large crowd. Look around you. This is a large crowd. Okay? This is good context. A large crowd was around him. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue leaders, okay, this would have been like the equivalent of a pastor. Remember, this is before the birth of the church, okay? One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he did what? He fell at his feet. Verse 23, he pleaded earnestly with him, Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and she will live. Who's a parent in this room? Let me see your hands right now if you're a parent. You know the type of love you have for your kids, so you know how desperate Jairus was in this moment for his daughter, who later on we find out is 12 years old. His 12-year-old daughter is sick and she is dumb. So Jesus, in verse 24, does what? Because he's compassionate. He goes with him. Jesus went with him. A large crowd, again, followed and pressed around him. There's something that happened in that large crowd. Verse 25, you're going to see it. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now, we've been trying to figure out, theologians and historians for a long time, exactly what the bleeding is. We don't know with extreme detail, but this was a very serious issue that she was suffering from. And Levitical law, the law that governed at the time, had very specific instructions for how someone who suffers, a woman with this issue, would be treated. So going forward, 12 years she's been suffering. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. You ever been there where you have had a situation that has just been going on and on and on, and you feel like you're spent? Maybe you haven't spent all your money, but maybe you have spent all your energy. Maybe you are emotionally drained, physically drained, and you are going to every doctor. Maybe it's not a medical doctor, but every single thing that this world has to offer, but it just gets worse. That's what she needs for 12 years. 
years. This is a long time for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal in the care of many doctors, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Verse 27. Then when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him. That's important. Hold on to that. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Where are my King James Version people at? Who here grew up on the KJV, baby? Me too. Let's go. It's not a touch of his clothes. It's the hem of his garment. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That's the good stuff, KJV. She came up behind him, and she touched the hem of his garment. She didn't touch him, but she touched his clothes. This was her plan. Verse 28, because she thought, look to your neighbor and say, thought. She thought. Matthew chapter 9, the other parallel scripture says it a little differently. It says, she said to herself, she said to herself, if I just can touch his clothes, I will be healed. Somebody say, I will. No, say it like you got some faith in this room, like you are singing, trusting God. I will. This is a special kind of faith that she has. If I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And then it gets good. I hope you're ready. It gets good. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say that is incredible. 12 years of suffering and she's healed. She's free. And then at once, verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. Pause for a minute. This is the only time in the whole book of the Bible we get this concept of power going out of Christ. Him feeling power leaving him. And what does he do? He turns around in the crowd and he says, who touched my clothes? He's serious now. He says, who touched my clothes? Because power has gone out of him. Now, another thing to consider with this, Jesus Christ was and is omniscient. That's a fancy word for he knows it all. He knew Darn well who touched his clothes. Can you say darn when you're preaching? I think so, right? That's acceptable. He knew real well who touched his clothes. When Jesus or God asks you a question, it's not for his benefit, it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. So he asks, he asks this question, who touched my clothes? In verse 31, this is my favorite verse. We're almost at the end of reading the scripture. The disciples say this. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? The disciples are getting sassy with Jesus. You see the people touching you, Jesus, and you ask us who touched you? Imagine speaking to the Son of God like that, the Messiah in the flesh, but they do. They say, how can you ask? Look at this crowd that is pressing against you. How can you ask who touched you? But Jesus, ah, enough of them. Forget that. He keeps looking himself. Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then, verse 33, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Pause for a moment. Trembling is the ultimate stage of fear. Trembling is when you go this. I'm not talking about a little fear of heights, a little stage fright. No, no, she was trembling in fear. Why would she be trembling? Why is she trembling? And then what does she do? She tells him the whole truth. 
She confesses what she has done. And she's trembling. She's terrified. Remember, she just got healed. But for some reason, she's trembling and she's terrified. And verse 34, the end of the scripture, verse 34 says this. He says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Come on, somebody. Her faith healed her. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Is there anyone in the room tonight that wants to go in peace and be freed from their suffering? I know I could use that in my life. There's some areas in my life where I need some peace. That is what I hope you will get in the next few minutes that we have together. Because the teaching that is in this, this story is incredible. In this historical account is incredible. But I got to warn you, it's not an easy one. Anyone come here for easy messages? No. Oh, that was encouraging. Yeah, give me something easy. Let me try something else then. Let me ask you this. Anyone here ever go to the gym? I said ever. Okay, I don't mean you got to be a gym rat. Okay, anyone here ever go to the gym? Okay, I used to go to the gym a lot. I know it doesn't look that way right now. I haven't been to the gym for a while. I'm living that dad bod life. Hopefully it's still in style. I don't know. I used to know a lot about the gym. I don't know that much anymore. But if, if I was to teach you anything about the gym, I'm a pastor, not a personal trainer. I would just tell you this. If it's easy, it ain't working. If it's easy in the gym, it ain't working. When it comes to the gym, there is no easy way. There's no easy way. I know you see ads on Instagram, easy way to lose 30 pounds. There is no easy way to lose 30 pounds. Okay? The word diet itself has the word die in it. D-I-E. Okay? There's no easy way. It all sucks. Okay? You just choose your poison. It's difficult. It's hard in the gym. If it's easy, it ain't working. And I used to go to this gym in Etobicoke when I lived there. Any West Side people? Where are my West Side people at? Yeah? You all traveled. Thank you very much. Um, I had no money back then, so I went to Fit for Less. Where are my Fit for Less people at? It was $9.99 a month back then. Don't be hating on it. It was great. I loved it. I was in a routine. I would go every morning. And I observed that there was this, you know when you go to the gym and like schedules sync up? Gym people, like you just see the same people every day because they're on the same schedule. There was this middle-aged man. He looked pretty, he was fine, he, right? Who, and his wife would drop him off at the gym the same time that I would get there every single day. I was going six days a week. He would go every single day. And you'd start taking notice when stuff like that happens. And I'd have chest day one day, leg day another day, arms, you know, buys, tries, whatever it is that you're working out. This guy had the same workout every day, every single day. See, at Fit for Less, there was this package you could upgrade to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they had massage chairs. Yeah, these bad boys were nice. His workout routine for one hour every single day in athletic Lululemon attire, so his wife would think he was working, her girlfriend, I don't know what she was, would be to go to that massage chair and take a one-hour nap and then wake up. I was like, this guy is playing chess, and I am playing checkers. He has got it figured out. So, you know, I really wanted to talk to him one day and just see what was going on. So one day we're in the washroom, and I think that's the appropriate time to talk to him, which is weird, right? But, but I saw him doing something. He was splashing water on his face. And I'm like, what are you doing, bro? He's like, oh, man, you know, my wife thinks I come here to work out. I just sleep on the massage chair. So I'm just making it look like I got a little sweat, you know? And he gets out, and he leaves, and he gets in the car. 
And his wife probably goes, babe, you get a good workout in? Oh, yeah, so sweaty, so tired, so exhausted. This is what he would do six days a week. The message behind that, though, is that if it's easy, it ain't working. Because months would go by, and guess what? He looked exactly the same. He was not losing weight. Splashing water on your face in a massage chair doesn't do it. Anybody heard of a Peloton? You know Pelotons, those bikes? Fancy bikes? Seems like a good concept, but then you end up realizing you're paying a lot of money to have a 21-year-old scream at you to pedal faster. That's basically what a Peloton is. But we went through this thing called COVID. I promise this is going somewhere. Hang with me. We, we went through this thing called COVID, and gyms were closed for a long time. So I wanted a Peloton. I thought it was cool. I wanted one, so I was saving up money. I have the most amazing wife. She's sitting here on the front row. My birthday came around. She's like, babe, if you want the Peloton, I'm going to get you the Peloton. So she paid the rest when we were saving up, and she bought me a Peloton, and she got it delivered. That's, can somebody give it up for her? Yeah. Find you a wife that when you're getting fat will buy you an exercise bike. <laughs> babe, you're just looking a little pudgy. Would you like a Peloton? That's not what she said. But in hindsight, maybe that was what was going on, because I was getting a little pudgy. Anyways, this Peloton, got it, used it for a little while. Now it's a couple years later, and you're probably asking, how is it now? It's amazing. You should see the way that you can hang clothes on this thing. I mean, the front handlebar, you can put about 10 hangers there, and the clothes fall so nice. And you can sit on that skinny little seat that hurts your butt just long enough to take a selfie, you know, and look cool like you worked out that day and post it on the gram. It's great. It's awesome. I love my Peloton. Great clothes hanger. Here's the problem with my Peloton. I've got it, but I don't use it. So it actually doesn't do anything for me. All of those silly stories are to get you to this point. When it comes to faith, you can have it, but if you ain't using it, it's not doing anything for you. You got to use your faith. And this season, my friends, that is not going to be us. We're not going to come into this faith-filled place with fellow believers and get so encouraged and then leave here and not use it. Uh-uh. This, this season, I don't want easy. I want better. I want better for my family. I want better for my kids. I want to be a better husband. I want to be better for my God. Is there anybody here who wants to be better this season? That's what I want. That's what you want. So that's where we're going to go. When it comes to faith, you can't just have it. You've got to use it. The woman in this story, I want to tell you, she had real faith. By faith you are healed, Christ said. She had a real kind of faith. That's what I want to do, is to have that kind of faith that she had. But to be honest with you, me personally, I have a problem. If you're a first-time guest, you don't know this, you've been coming here for a while, you've heard me say this before. My problem is that I went to law school. That's a problem. I was trained to be a liar. I mean lawyer. <laughs> I was trained to be a lawyer. That was a slip. And when you're in law school, you're kind of taught to be a pessimist, if I'm honest with you. You're taught to question everything, and if you're not careful, it can really make you a cynic. It can make you kind of a jerk, because you're just, yeah, is the sky really blue? I don't know. It's kind of like, you know... You know, on meaningless things, you can become cynical and, and you can question things. And I'm not saying it's bad to be a critical thinker. You have to be a critical thinker, but it can be bad. And, and when I was first reading this passage, there was one question that came to mind. 
And I think it's because I went to law school and, and I've become so this way, so, so cynical. It was like, why her? Why did she get here? Let me show you a picture. This, this picture that is going to come up on the screen right now is not from the time of Christ. It's from the 18th century. But it gives us a little image of what that scene probably looked like. Historically, it looks like it would be accurate. Remember what the scripture verses said, verse 24, which will come back up on the screen. There was a large crowd, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So the question that came to my mind is if there's a large crowd and there's all these people touching Jesus, how come she got healed and they didn't? They're, they're following him. They're in the crowd. They're pressed. They're, they're touching him, but we don't get any account of, of them getting healed. Verse 31, remember the sassy disciples, right? The sassy disciples. You see the people crowding against you, and you ask who touched you? They can't even tell Christ. Like, everybody's touching you. There's a huge crowd here. Why are they not healed? Christ tells us why. He tells us why if you really study, if you really look. You see, and, and it's interesting because they all touched him, but what did she touch? The hem of his garment. She, in fact, didn't even touch him, and she was healed. She touched clothes. Clothes can't heal anybody. You ever heard of retail therapy? Yeah? <laughs> clothes can't heal anybody. Retail therapy, y'all, is not therapy. It's distraction. I'm guilty of it, too. It doesn't make you any better. It just turns your mind off of it and puts it on something else. Clothes can't heal anyone, but, but she said, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So I go, why? What? That doesn't make sense. That's not right. Clothes can't heal anyone. But he tells us, and in verse 34, he said very clearly, he said, your faith has healed you. Your faith. He didn't say, he is the son of God in the flesh, and he didn't say, I have healed you. He didn't say, God has healed you. He said, your faith has healed you. And I find that very interesting. Does that mean that the crowd, all those people in that picture, they were pressing against him, didn't have faith? Is that what that means? Does that mean that you can be in the crowd? You can show up? You could be pressing against and maybe not have faith? Is that what that means? These are serious questions. I don't know if your head works the same way as mine, but these are the questions that come to mind when I'm reading this and what I learned is that she had a special kind of faith. She had a real kind of faith. My friends, in this life, there are only two kinds of faith. The first type of faith is this. I like to call it a crowd faith. A crowd faith, okay? A crowd faith. The second type of faith is a cost faith. A faith that will cost you. A faith that you hold on to no matter the cost. Those are the two types of faith that there are. A crowd faith and a cost faith. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he said this, the flesh presses, bumps into God, but faith reaches out and touches the heart of God. The flesh presses and bumps. You can be in the crowd bumping into him. When you bumped into that neighbor, you didn't think any of it. When they reached out and touched you, that was kind of weird. You're like, bro, don't touch me. This is 2023. That was kind of weird. A touch and a bump, my friends, are very different things. See, the crowd had the same action. They were there, but their action was not predicated upon the same belief. Their action was not based upon the same 
believe. It's a difference between a casual encounter and contact with God or a faith-filled touch with God. That's what Spurgeon's trying to get you to see. That's what Mark is trying to get you to see. It's the difference. When I teach about faith, I always teach it this way. Faith is two things. It's belief plus action. It's belief plus action. You've probably read James chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. It's belief plus action. It means you take the action because of your belief, not because of your benefit. In a crowd faith, you take the action for your benefit. In, the in a cost faith, you take the action because you believe it. Because you believe it to be true, even if it costs you for her. You need to learn something about her. For her, this could not be a more costly faith move that she did. Leviticus 15 lays out all the rules that apply in society for a woman with the issue of blood, and they're brutal. She had been conditioned by Levitical law of the day. When you got this issue of blood, let me tell you what you had to do as a woman. First, you get divorced right away. No choice in the matter. Second, you go into exile right away. Third, you're banned from the synagogue and the temple. River, you can't come here anymore. Church, uh-uh. Public places, no. Fourth, and maybe worse, you are now considered unclean. And anything that you touch is considered unclean. You become dirty when you have this issue that she had. You have to understand that this woman, just for being in that crowd, in that picture, we don't know if it was just like that, but in that picture, she's on the floor, comes up behind him. Just for being in that crowd, she could have been stoned to death. That was the law of the day. She could have been stoned, whipped, and even killed just for being in that crowd. It cost her to be there. And that actually answers that second question I had of why didn't she touch him? Why did she just touch his clothes? A lot of people like to make it really spiritual and go, well, you know, there was this stitching or there was this thing here. No, 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 it's not because of any of that. She had enough faith to go be in the crowd and maybe get stoned for it. But to touch the Messiah and to make him unclean, no, 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 no. We can't do that. If he is who he says he is, the Son of God, I can't touch him, she says, and make him unclean. But thank God Almighty that Jesus Christ says, when you are unclean, you can come and touch me because you don't make me unclean with your mess. He says, I make your mess clean when you come and touch me. That's what he says. And I fear that today we don't have enough people with that cost kind of faith. We got a lot of people with that crowd kind of faith. You know when it agrees, when it makes sense, but if you can get punished for your faith, I don't know. If there's a cost to pay, I don't know. See, that crowd kind of faith is really a clout kind of faith. You're chasing clout. If it can serve you and make you better and give you a bigger following and do things for you, then yeah, okay. But if it costs, I don't know. you got to understand, for her, this kind of faith was a cost kind of faith. It's a faith regardless of the cost. Even when the outcome is not what you desire, do it. And you keep doing it. I told you that faith is belief plus action. If you're into math, it's better put this way. Faith is belief times action. It's action multiplied again and again and again, even if the outcome is not what you wanted because you have that belief. She had been trying for 12 years, but she did not let go of the 
She said, I will be healed if I can touch it. And guys, today I want to help you because we spend so much time working on rhythms and routines and adjusting our actions. And I'm not saying that you don't need to do that, but the actions that you take are simply a consequence of your belief. The actions are symptoms of your belief. The battleground that we really got to get to if we want to be mature Christians, I told you this is hard preaching. This ain't easy. The battleground we got to get to is to our belief. Because your actions and your belief always end up aligning. You can fake it sometimes. But actions without belief are just acting. And you can't live a whole life acting. Eventually, you act in accordance with your belief. And today, what I fear, I'll tell you what I did for the majority of my life. I sought the Lord, just like in that song, for 1.5 hours of the week. I would go to church on Sunday. I'd get my hour and a half in. I would check mark that. And then you know what I would do? The next 166.5 hours of the week, I'd go, Lord, where are you? How come you don't show up? I would go, God, how come you don't speak? Bible says seek and you will find. you got to seek if you will find. The Bible says knock and the door will be opened. We still got a part to play. We still have an action to take. But this woman, you got to understand that she saw it. She knocked. She had belief. Verse 28, she thought, she told herself, I will be healed. So that's the answer. That was the question I had. Why her? Why her? The answer is because she had a cost come faith. She had real belief. That's why verse 34, he says, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace and be free from your suffering. My friends, that kind of faith gets the attention of your Father. Anybody here want the attention of the Lord? I got good news for you. That was a setup. You already got it. He watches over the sparrows. He goes before you. He never leaves you, abandons you, nor forsakes you. You have his attention. But, but a cost faith doesn't just get his attention. It compels him. A cost faith compels the Lord. See, because of her faith, because of the faith that this woman had, the Lord was compelled. Christ was compelled to act, and he stops. Remember, he's on an urgent journey. He's going to a dying girl, son of a synagogue leader, Jairus. And he stops, and he goes, whoa, the power left me. What power just left me? Who touched me? This was not a casual contact. No, 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 no. This was a faith-filled touch, a real Faith and it compelled the Lord. You've got to understand that that cost faith compels the Lord. In fact, it's interesting to look in all three accounts, nowhere in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, nowhere does it say he stopped and was moved by her faith and then healed her. Nope, the power just left. She reached out and touched, and the power just left. It went out. And that brings me to this question. We're almost there back to worship. It brings me to this question. Who here wants a breakthrough in their life? Let me see your hands. Amen. The rest of you, you all good? You just, you got life all figured out? You know, you don't need anything? I don't know why you come here if that's the case. Okay. I want a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough. I'm a mess. I need a breakthrough in my life. Let me ask you this question. What if our breakthrough wasn't so much a question of him and it was a question of us? What if our breakthrough wasn't a question of him 
and what he will or might do? What if it was a question of us? What if he has already prepared a table for you? You ever stop to think about that? What if? What if he's already prepared a table for you? But look at this. The Lord prepares a table for you. In fact, even in the presence of your enemies. But he can't make you eat. He can't make you eat. There's one thing that he can't do because of this thing called free will. He cannot make you believe. Belief is our job. Belief is the one thing. He has prepared the table. The question is, do we believe him when he says it? He's got the breakthrough for you, but do we really believe it? That's our job. Mark chapter 9, just a couple, couple chapters later in the same book, there's a boy who has a spirit tormenting him. And this, and this spirit seems a lot like suicidal thoughts, something that's very common in 2023. In fact, it's a pandemic. It's an epidemic. It's a pandemic in our society today, suicidal thoughts and dealing with that. There's this boy, and he has it. And in verse 21, Jesus asked that boy's father, it's going to come up on the screen, how long has he been like this from childhood? The father answered. He's been like this since he was a kid from childhood. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Suicidal thoughts, this spirit, terrible. And then pause for a second. The father says this. Look real close. You don't catch anything else. But if you can do anything, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Isn't that often the kind of faith that we have? God, if you can do it, give me a spouse. God, if you can do it, give me the job. God, if you can do it, heal me. Check what the Lord says in response, not what Ryan McNeek says. See what Christ replies with, and this is his message for you tonight. He says, sorry, hold on, excuse me. Verse 23, did you say, if you can? <laughs> if you can? Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible for one who believes, he says. And guess what? Verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my belief. And guess what? Spoiler alert, the boy was healed instantly and was made whole and freed from that spirit. But we got to stop with the if you can kind of stuff. If you can, that's insulting to God, your creator. Of course he can. It's not a question of him. It's a question of us. Do we really believe? I mean, sit in it for a minute. Do, do we really believe that God will do the things for us that we're praying for? Because that's the most important question. I could give you a, a, a prayer schedule and, and give you some advice on how to pray and, and to take more prayer in your life. I, I could do that. But if you don't believe, it's all for naught. See, the people in that crowd, they had the action. They went to church. They didn't have the belief. They didn't get healed by God. But it's hard. Let me give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's hard in 2023 when people are constantly telling you not to believe. This society today is telling you not to believe all the time. If we read farther in Mark, we're almost there, I promise. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people, look to your neighbor and say, some people. Oh, no, say it like you could think of that person's face. Some people, some people 
came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher? Wow, how compassionate. Your daughter's dead. Why bother him? Some people will do that. Some people in the crowd don't have the kind of belief that you have. So you got to be careful who you're hanging with because a crowd faith doesn't get it done, only a cost faith gets it done. And you can't rely on the faith of the crowd to get it done. Overhearing what they said, verse 36, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus responds, tell them to shut up. He didn't say that. That's the RIV, the Ryan-inspired version. And it's blasphemic. But I think that's the point. Don't fear, just believe. Just believe. you got to have the belief in what did Jairus do? He did believe. And guess what? Spoiler alert again. The girl got up, raised from the dead, and alive again. There is nothing. Everything is possible. There is nothing that is impossible if we just believe. Guys, most often in this life, we are searching for some deep kind of epiphany, some breakthrough that if we could just figure it out, then we get it all right. What we often need in this life more than a deep epiphany is a simple. A simple obedience beats a deep epiphany any day. If we could just believe, if we could really, really believe, because with the cost kind of faith, everything is possible. Last point before worship. Last point, but it's the best. Last point. A cost faith doesn't just heal you, it changes your name. A cost kind of faith, a real kind of faith, changes your identity. See, the cynic in me had one more problem. It's the last problem I'll share with you with this scripture. This woman had an audacious faith. She had a cost kind of faith. She had a real faith. And the Bible didn't even tell us her name. In fact, it did something worse. It identified her by her issue. The woman with the issue of blood. At least that's how it seemed to me. And that's not fair because Rahab, I mean, <laughs> Rahab was a prostitute. She got her name in the Bible. Delilah, she's the worst ex-girlfriend you could ever have. Cut your hair, steal your power, turn you over while you're sleeping. I mean, a bad haircut while you're sleeping, it doesn't get worse than that. Her name's in the Bible. Ruth was a widow, her name's in the Bible. Jezebel, Jezebel was like the devil in the flesh. Her name was in the Bible. You don't meet anybody today named Jezebel. All these women, remember in a chauvinistic time, but all these women got their name in the Bible. This woman had an audacious cost. And you know her today, the header in your Bible, as the woman with the issue of blood. That bothered me. It's like, that doesn't seem right. And then I realized something. Verse 34. What does it say? He said to her, daughter. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your shame. And that will mean more to you when you hear this. There's only one person in the entire account of the Holy Scriptures that Jesus Christ called daughter. There's only one, and it was this woman, because she had a cost kind of faith. And, and it goes deeper. He, he, could, he felt the power go out of him. She felt the healing happen right away. He, he was on the way to save a dying girl. He could have just kept walking. But God doesn't just want to give you physical healing. He wants to restore your standing in society. He wants to bring back your mental health. He wants to encourage you. He stops. He stops in the middle of the crowd, and he calls her daughter. 
Do you know what that would have done for her in that crowd? The Messiah calls her daughter. See, if she just told all of them that she was healed, they wouldn't believe her. She'd still be in exile. She still wouldn't be welcome. She'd still have to be divorced. She couldn't, she couldn't have any place. But he stops and he changes her identity. He changes her name. She's no longer her issue. She's now daughter. I came to tell you tonight, you are not your issue. You are daughter. You are son of the Lord Most High. You are a royal priesthood set apart. The world wants to identify you by your issues, by what's messed up about you. Everything in 2023 is our issues. Everyone wants to identify you by that. You know, we had this four-week break, and I got blessed to go on a trip. I went to, to Ireland. My mom's from there. Give it up for my mom. She's over here. Sweet woman of God. Her, mom's all, or her family's all from there. My grandparents were immigrants from Ireland. And I got to go there and meet a bunch of my family. And I always love it because I learn a lot when I'm there. There's so much history that I get to learn. And I was reminded by someone when they were talking about my last name. They reminded me of something. My last name is Mick Vitti. M-C-V-E-T-Y. They said, Brian, do you know what Mick means in Gaelic? The Irish language? Mick literally means son of. Mac also means son of. So my name, the way I am identified still today, is Ryan, son of Viti. Who, I don't know who Viti is. It's a weird name. I have no clue. No one knows how to spell it at Starbucks either. It's a weird name. But my dad's dad, dad's 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 name must have been Viti. And in Ireland, everywhere I go, people literally know me because of my name is Ryan McVitie. Ryan, son of Viti. What point in your life did you drop that title? Son of the Creator, Son of the Father, Daughter of the King of Kings. At what point in your life did you start identifying your issue and not your name? Because your name, if you have faith, which you do, is Son. Your name is Daughter. 2 Corinthians 6.18 proves it. It says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We are sons and daughters, friends. We are not issues. We are sons and we are daughters. We got issues. We all have them. I got issues. Even the Apostle Paul, he had a thorn in his side. He had some issue that we don't know exactly what it is. But we all have issues. God does not define you by your issues. So why do you? Why do you let others? You are a son. You are a daughter. You stand up to your feet. Worship team, you come up here because we got some amazing worship left for you. Jonathan, you can play those holy keys. I hope they're holy. River, my assignment tonight was very simple. We got some great worship coming for you. But my assignment tonight was very simple. My assignment tonight was to give you permission to believe again. I'm looking at some of you. And I know when I look at myself in the mirror. There are some things that I've stopped actually believing. There's no way that's going to happen. 
Some of you have stopped believing that you'll ever be free from the addiction that you've been dealing with. Some of you have stopped believing that God really has someone for you to go through life with. Somewhere along the line, I don't know when it happened, but it did. There's something that you stopped believing. I mean really believing for. Tonight, God brought you here not to see cool lights. He brought you here to be reminded that you have permission to believe again. That you are a daughter of the King of Kings. That you are a son of the Lord of Lords. That you can touch him tonight. I'm not talking that press against, that bump into, that you can reach out and touch him tonight. And just like that woman was healed in an instant and the power went out, the same can happen to you. You can touch him right now. Even if you don't have a perfect kind of faith, even if you still have some questions in your belief, God is not scared of your questions. Why? Because he has all the answers. In fact, he is the answer. Some of you grew up that you can't ask a question of God. That's, that's wrong. That's sinful. You can ask God any question you want. He's not scared of your questions. That man in Mark chapter 9, he said, help my unbelief. Tonight we can go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me in this area because I've stopped believing. And his boy was healed. Your pain can be healed. But it's not about action. Action without belief isn't faith. It's about your belief. Sons and daughters, you can believe again. So we're going to sing a couple worship songs. And what I would ask you to do, forget about tomorrow just for a moment. This is a holy time. Tomorrow will be there, I promise. Work will be there. School will be there. Just take a few moments. And go to the altar. I don't mean the wood of this stage. Go to the altar. Take your belief to the altar and say, Lord, I come to you. Help me believe again. Lord, help me believe that these things actually will come to pass. Even though it's been 12 years and I've seen every doctor and I'm all spent. Lord, help me believe that these things will come to pass. You can pray that prayer tonight. You can go to the altar, and he will accept you with arms open wide, with your imperfect belief, and he will restore you, and he will heal you, and he will renew your identity if you will just believe. Go to him right now come to the altar.